This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindler, or idolaters. In the case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, or drunk, a drunken or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business it is of mine? To judge those outside the church, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked people from among you. This morning, Reverend Ting is going to preach to us, the sword is missing. Thank you, Brother Menghu. Let us look at This. Do you know of this art piece? This is a painting by Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper. And this is uh, very famous, I guess. I give, I'll show you two pictures and you'll tell me what is the difference. This is the first picture. And I guess I press. This is a second picture. Can you spot the difference? Yeah, some already know it. <laughs> yeah, if you still cannot guess, then I'll zoom in. And you try to find what is the difference. Can you find it? Can you spot the difference? Cannot zoom in some more. Can you spot the difference now? Some more. Can, now can you see? What is the difference? One with knife. The other one without knife. For those who very confirm about the answer, uh, Please keep silent. <laughs> yeah, those who don't know, don't really know about this uh, art piece, I ask you, which one is the original one? Is it on the left with the knife or is it on the right without the knife? Which one will you choose? Who chose the one with knife? Raise your hand. Ah, do you think the one with knife is the original art piece? A few raised. How about the others? Do you think the one without knife is the original art piece? Yeah. How about the others? <laughs> Which picture do you think is the original art piece of Leonardo da Vinci? 
is actually with the knife. If you are a graphic designer, I guess, you can tell from there, I, I try to rub the knife off. <laughs> I rub the knife off and make it yeah, without a knife. And that person holding a knife is Peter. And that is the Last Supper. Can you imagine that? The Last Supper, Peter holding a knife in that occasion. In our church nowadays, why don't we decorate our Last Supper with a knife there? I think no church did that. I'm not sure, but I guess we don't think about it. We don't think we don't even think of a knife can appear in such occasion. Why is there a knife in Peter's hand? Did Da Vinci he did something wrong? Is it that he just simply draw a knife there? What is his reasoning? According to Bible, Jesus told the disciples to buy knife. Do you know that? You don't know. Jesus told disciples to buy knife. If you don't have knife, sell your clothes and buy a knife. That is what Jesus said to the disciples. And that is why there is a knife in his painting. And the painting is right. Why did you choose the one without knife? I guess you think it's not appropriate to have a knife. If you don't know about this painting, I guess you will think it's not appropriate. That is the Last Supper. How come there is a knife in Peter's hand? What is that for? It shouldn't appear. The the painter might did something wrong. That is our feeling. And that is the greatest problem of the church. We use our feeling to decide whether the truth, the truthfulness of the truth, we think is right, then it's right. We think it's wrong, it shouldn't be there, then we'll erase it in our mind. It's the greatest problem nowadays. If I want, if I, I will choose one of these two pictures to illustrate the church today, I'll use the one without the knife. We have lost the knife. The knife is missing. The church just looks exactly the same that you don't even realize there is a knife in the original art piece. At the beginning, you, don't, you, you cannot tell what is the difference between the two pictures, but the knife is missing. And what does that knife represent? Let's meditate from the Word of God and let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, send your Spirit to lead us into your Word and help us to know your will and to find back something that is missing 
in our church so that we can live faithfully doing your will as your children. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us look at the passage again. Paul said, I'll read to you, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 13. Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not, all, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with, the, with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. In this passage, um, Paul is talking to the church in Corinthians because uh, Corinthians, there are all, a lot of uh, things that they really did wrong and they sinned against God. And in this chapter, Paul mentions someone did uh, have slept with his father's wife. That means somebody has a sexual relationship with his father's wife. That means his mother, or in Chinese translation, they translate it as the stepmother. So whether is it his mother or his stepmother, we don't know. But that is a very serious issue in Corinthians. But the church don't really did anything. They don't expel such people and they just leave it, leave the issue there. And that will create great trouble to the church. So Paul said to them, they need to seriously uh, look into this matter. So in Paul's letter, not only this, he said in the uh, previous uh, in Previously, he wrote to them about uh, not to associate with sexually immoral people. And I guess the Corinthians, they misunderstood Paul because Paul said he doesn't mean that you don't have anything to do with whoever who are immoral. Paul said, if you are thinking like that, then better you go to heaven because in heaven you will not meet anyone immoral. But on earth, for sure, they are people who are immoral in the, outside the church. But the church needs to guard the church so that those immorals, those people, immoral people won't be staying in the church. And the church can be kept holy and perfect. The problem in the Corinthian church is that they are someone who sin and they still 
living together in that context, ignoring the sin that he has done. The third that is missing is the judgment. What did Paul say? In verse 12 and 13, Paul said, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And then that responded in verse 13, said, God will judge those outside. So it's none of our business. We cannot control the people outside. They sing, they did whatever uh, immoral. They cannot control and they should, they cannot judge the people outside the church. That is God's responsibility. And we have nothing to do with that. But Paul asks, are you not to judge those inside? And he quoted from um, Deuteronomy saying, expel the wicked person from among you. This phrase actually repeated at least seven times in Deuteronomy saying, you must purge the evil from Israel. You must expel those evil doers out of the community. That's the teaching of the Old Testament. And Paul quote that, wanted these Corinthians, the church in Corinthians, they expel, they purge those evil doers among them. That is to judge these evil doers. Is this the teaching of the Bible? Is this the teaching of the Bible? Some hardly nod your head. This is hard, man. <laughs> right? This is too hard. Deep down in your heart, you may feel awkward. And this is hard. How come? Why Paul said so? Why in the Old Testament God said so? I guess your feeling is right to be awkward and difficult because what Jesus said seems really contradict to what Paul said. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus said together, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Jesus said, do not judge. How come Paul said, you must judge those in your church? Is it contradict? And I guess that is why you feel so hard to accept the different voices in the Bible. I guess your feeling is right, but your understanding is wrong. What Jesus said is that don't judge or you too will be judged. And Jesus said this to the uh, Pharisees because they have double standards. They treat other people very strictly. They require other people to do as the law did. But they are very linear to themselves. They don't really care about the sin among them. So that's why they are double standard. So what Jesus is concerning here in Matthew, the focus is double standard, not about judge. I repeat, 
the focus of Jesus in Matthew is not about judging others. It's about the double standards. Especially the Pharisees. They ask people to do all kinds of things. They ask people to obey the rules. But they themselves cannot do it. That's hypocrite. And they are having double standard. So that's why we think Paul may have said something wrong. But in fact, that is true. And we'll look deeper into that at the later part. It's hard to speak our heart and it's hard to point out the sin, the fault of others. A few times that I tried to uh, comment on something um, that often made some people unhappy. Uh, how come so, uh, Pastor, you're so picky? Uh, how come everyone have no problem with that? You have a lot of problem with, with the decision and so on. So you are the troublemaker. So that's the things that people think about me when, when I have a lot of comments and, and thinking, try to bring out the things that are in my heart and try to point out something that is not really good or not really true. But people will be unhappy. And some, I have I even met someone really uh, look me, stare at me, and shh, don't say. Keep quiet. Beware of what you have said. I've seen all kinds of reactions. Some people, when I, when I talk about my comments, they quietly nod a bit their head, but they remain silent. Keep on looking at the ceiling, looking at the finger, looking somewhere else, just having no stand. Try to have no stand that make, to make themselves seem like they, are, they don't side at anyone and they, they don't judge anyone. Because we thought that is wrong and we try not to give bad comments about just anything so that we are not judging anyone. But that's not true. And that is actually making us thinking the knife, the sword in the church is not appropriate. And we try to erase and eliminate that knife from the picture of the church. And that is our sin. We must repent because our understanding is wrong. We must repent because our feeling is wrong. The knife lying in the picture, figuring the church is appropriate and it is there. As Paul said, we need to judge the people inside. When we talk about judging others, we can easily go to the other end. Just like what Paul said, we don't want to eat with him, we don't want to uh, social with that person, we, we just keep that person out of my gang, and that's it. We try to split and categorize different kinds of people. 
But what Paul meant, the intention is not like that. What we do is that we should use love and full of kindness. We reject the brothers or sisters not, be, not as they are our enemy. But then because we want them to know this is a very serious matter, that we exclude them from the community in order that they know that it's wrong. This is a very serious matter. And then we hope that they can repent and return to the right path. So in Second Thessalonians, Paul made this very clear. Chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. Let's read together. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So Paul draw the boundaries actually quite clear. We reject those sinners not because they are sinners, but because we love them and we try to help them to go back on to the right path. So we are rejecting these kind of people in order that they know they are wrong. But oftentimes when, when church, when we uh, dealing with these kind of troubles, these kinds of tr- problems, the hardest part that we can control is the splitting of church because we are not mature enough. We, when there are such problems, we'll feel like we have to stand somewhere. Are you standing at my side? Or some will think, oh, pastors is right, so I stand at pastor's side. And then some will think the, the evildoers, those who, who, do some, who create some troubles, we thought we should reject them. But some people will feel sorry for these people because of the church. Uh, all these people, they are bad. They try to expel these brothers or sisters. Uh, they treat them quite bad. So I want to cite him. I want to stand with him although he is wrong. That is due to immaturity of church. And whenever we try to settle this kind of problem, church, if we are not mature, this kind of condition will surely happen. We must repent because our intention is good. We try to bring the sinners back but we are wrong because we tolerate of his or her sin. We guess it's okay. Yeah, we can forgive him and let the problem slip and that's it. Don't be so, um, so calculative. Just forgive and forget. But that shouldn't be the way that we treat the problems and sins in the church. The whole process should be done carefully. We should obey the word of God and do it carefully, using the sword, using the knife carefully, in the right way. 
When there's someone who don't think they have wrong, they did anything, uh, they, they don't think they have done anything wrong, they just don't admit. But sometimes we'll let the things slip, saying, oh, it's okay, just don't create more troubles and mess, or I, I forgive him and let, let the whole thing come to an end. Do you think that is a problem? That is just sweeping the mess under the carpet. The whole process, according to Jesus, should be done very carefully. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus said, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two other alone, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. When you read this passage, do you think is it contradict with what Jesus said? Do not judge. Actually, no. What Jesus meant is that don't be double standard. How you judge people and you should use the same standard to judge yourself. That's what I meant by Jesus. By do not judge others. And here in chapter 18, Jesus said, uh, talk about the procedure. How do you treat the problem? If someone sins, then you must go and point out his fault. That's often we think we should not do that. We shouldn't do that. That will make people unhappy. That will make people just uncomfortable. But we have to do that, pointing the fault, the sins of our brothers and sisters, just two of you, hoping that, praying that he or she will return to the right path. If they, if they listen to you, then the problem is solved. If they don't, then tell the church. If they don't listen, uh, if they don't tell two or three so that they can bring two or three along, one or two along so that they can be witnessed Witnesses, and if they still doesn't refuse, they, they still refuse to listen, then tell the church. And if they doesn't listen to the church, then their head are chopped off, expelled to the church. That's the procedure that Jesus mentioned about treating the problem. Actually, in the whole chapter, I find it very interesting. In Matthew chapter 18, at the beginning, Jesus talked about the hundred sheep. And one of the sheep is lost. And after that, Jesus said this passage. Actually, it's regarding, to me, it's regarding the lost sheep. He or, she, he or she had seen and they go astray. Then you must tell him or her the problem, the sin, so that you can bring the lost sheep back. If until the end you still cannot, the whole church, even the whole church, cannot do anything, 
then the lost sheep is totally lost. We cannot do anything. To me, the, the three, the few parts of that same, very same chapter is related. And after this passage, actually, Peter did ask Jesus, then how many times should I forgive my brothers? If they keep on sinning and then they, uh, he or she said, say, he know he did something wrong and repent, should I forgive? One times, two times, seven times? Jesus said no, 77 times. So it's all related to me in that chapter, in that very chapter. So Jesus said, this is a procedure of using the sword to judge our brothers and sisters. We find it very challenging and refuse to follow the step. We try to skip because we ourselves felt very uncomfortable. If we want someone to repent, we, want, we need to tell them their fault, their sin. That makes us very uncom- uncomfortable. And that also makes other people very uncomfortable. So we tend to skip the whole process by saying it's okay. Let the issue slip. I will forgive him or her without that person repent. That's the greatest problem of the church nowadays. We try to forgive whoever without them repent. That is against Jesus' teaching. Years ago, in Methodist Church, I guess all of you know about the incident. Uh, one of the staff of Methodist Book Room has stolen quite a big sum of money from uh, the, the bookstore. But how the bishop uh, on and uh, Reverend T, the way they they follow through the, the issue, the case, very carefully. At the same time, righteous and kind during the whole, uh, whole process. I guess that is a very, very hard decision to make. As they point out the issue, then should the church bring that person to court? Because we are church and people are condemning them for putting that person in jail. And church, you said love. How can you put people in jail? So there are a lot of sounds from the ground quarreling because we thought that church shouldn't practice this. But actually not. Church must practice righteousness. And that's what we should do. I'm glad they, they, they did that. And actually, uh, after the, the person, the staff, had put in jail, uh, she had four children. Then how, how are we going to do with that? Church are so not uh, loving. Then what to do with her four children? So those are the condemnation from different people. And that's actually, that reflects 
the missing of the knife in the church. Today we need to repent because we thought we can quickly settle the problems, the sins in the church by just forgiving people without people knowing their problem and ask for forgiveness. Within Jesus' word is too way too much work and that is too hard. We just wanted to skip the whole process and just forgive that person and close the case. We are not obeying Jesus' word. That is our sin. The sword of the church is missing. We need to find it back. There's a sword of the sword is judgment. And we need to uh, use it with the intention that it's kind and loving. At the same time, we follow the procedure carefully so that the church can be holy, can be kept holy. And that is what entrusted to you and me. Let us pray. Lord, help us. Forgive us, we pray. Because oftentimes we think it is not appropriate for us, loving and kind Christians, to practice righteousness, to practice judgment in church. We just think that is absolutely nonsense. But Lord, that is the missing part in our church. Help us to find back the missing sword and use it faithfully. For Lord, you have entrusted the sword to us and we should practice our duty. For you have called us to be faithful and loyal to your word, to the task that you have entrusted us. Help us, for we are weak. And help us to deal with the sin and problems in the church so that we can keep your church holy and perfect and be faithful waiting until the day Jesus comes again. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.